Sequel Quest, Episode 98, a sequel to Space Jam. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Everybody get up, it's time to slam now. We got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance, do your dance at the Space Jam. Alright. Welcome, zany cartoon animals and professional sports stars alike to the Sequel Quest Podcast. Tonight we are proud to bring you our brand of loony podcasting, but allow me to introduce you to the squad of hosts with us tonight. First off, it's the man who just got his jump shot denied by a 12-year-old girl in a street pickup game. Howdy, Jeff. Hey, howdy. Next, it's the man who knows baseball and will likely tell us why Michael Jordan had no business playing the game. It's Jeremy. That is false. <laughs> oh, and maybe I can be of some assistance? You didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture? No, it's me, Adam! And back again for a three-peat performance, the man who's got a great idea for a new team name, the Ducks. But seriously, what kind of Mickey Mouse organization would name their team the Ducks? It's the man, the myth, the legend, Eric. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Three Pete. <laughs> hey. So this is one of those films that I know is very near and dear to a lot of people who grew up in the 90s. People seem to love Space Jam from 1996. If you were not a child of the 90s, maybe this doesn't ring a bell. Jeremy, why don't we just give him a plot synopsis right off the top? After winning the third championship with the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan announces his retirement from basketball and declares his intention to play baseball. Meanwhile, deep in space on another planet called Moron Mountain, an outer space theme park, Mr. Swackhammer sends five tiny aliens known as the Nerdlux to go to Looney Tune land and capture all the Looney Tune characters and take them to Moron Mountain. But the Looney Tunes think of a plan to find a way to escape slavery on Moron Mountain. Bugs Bunny decides to defend themselves by challenging these scrawny aliens to a basketball game. The Nerdlux cheat using their strange powers to steal talent of five NBA stars, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Muggsy Bogues, Larry Johnson, and Sean Bradley, which they'll ultimately transform themselves into the tallest and most muscular monsters. It's up to Michael Jordan to help the lonely Looney Tunes play a basketball game and win versus these villainous monsters. If the monsters win, Swackhammer gets the Looney Tunes along with Michael Jordan. So they're playing for their lives here, people. <laughs> and if you needed the short version, Michael Jordan, Animated Animals, and Bill Murray, who we didn't mention. <laughs> and Wayne Knight. <laughs> oh, of course, Wayne Knight. So the Looney Tunes, headed up by Bugs Bunny. We got Daffy Duck. We got Sylvester, Tweety, Porky Pig, Wiley Coyote. And it's interesting when you look back at the history leading up to this point. <laughs> 1996 is the first time they actually got their own movie, like a real movie that had a single story that they were all participating in. Because if you guys know Looney Tunes in some history, if you've seen the cartoons over the years, which 
most people have of a certain generation. Ours might have been the last to really see them in any great rotation. But they started out as Merry Melodies, which was a competitor to Disney's Silly Symphonies. <laughs> and in fact, those were headed by two early Walt Disney collaborators. And it just kind of evolved into two brands, Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes. And then they kind of merged uh, down the line to where we just think of Looney Tunes now. But it's, so it's, it's kind of a weird situation with the branding and the characters and all of that. I mean, Bugs Bunny didn't debut until 1940. And Porky Pig was actually the first breakout star from that group of animators a few years earlier, which is kind of fascinating. So I'm just curious, right off the top... When you think about the Looney Tunes lineup, do you guys have a favorite Looney Tunes character that you identify with or that has always been the most entertaining to you growing up? Eric, how about you? Uh, when you say Looney Tunes, I think Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner. And I remember coming home from school and I would watch those. I loved seeing how Wiley e. Coyote was going to get destroyed. <laughs> usually by a black hole painted on something yeah. and i love those sounds like i just love everything about wiley coyote and, and roadrunner the rest of them i was kind of like eh but definitely those mischievous acts out in the desert got me going they're probably some of the most inventive chuck jones did a great job with all of those how about for you jeff it'd kind of be a tie between I loved Yosemite Sam. Something about <laughs> Yosemite Sam. I was always rooting for him, but he would never beat that stupid rabbit. Um, <laughs> and then Daffy Duck, which is so interesting because it felt like a lot of times we would get Daffy Duck and Donald Duck confused because I guess they both had anger as their d definitive characteristic, but Daffy was just not a nice person. It was always interesting because none of the Looney Tunes were terribly nice people. Bugs was really mean. But he would always win, and we would always root for him. Uh, even the Roadrunner was always taunting this poor coyote. Like, there was no Mickey Mouse of the group, I didn't think. But it was just a, a very different change of pace for me, especially as a Disney fan. Well, I, I think that's a good point you bring that up, you know, because Disney was always, like, the silly but sweet cartoon brand, while Looney Tunes was really, like, the epitome of zany, madcap, and irreverent. You know, they were never raunchy, but, like, Disney was for three- to nine-year-olds, and Looney Tunes tunes always seem to be like definitely kids of the double digits they're the ones who are going to really appreciate the attitude like you said it just seemed more streetwise overall so yeah looney tunes definitely had a, a delineation that was very clear when you like put the two together although if you're looking for a mickey mouse i would say porky pig is probably like the sweetest of the Looney well, Tunes. He was kind of the sappiest, where he would just get kind of get taken advantage of, where that wasn't quite Mickey, but... Which one has sexual harassment skunk? <laughs> oh, yes, that's Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, Pepe is very problematic now. Yeah, there's <laughs> He was problematic then, let's be honest. Yeah, but, like, looking back now, it's, like, really bad. How about for you, Jeremy? Oh, well, I mean, between Disney, Warner Brothers, and Hanna-Barbera, all those cartoons... Like, like, I watched them all, but I've been all over the map with all those cartoons. I guess technically you could say the Iron Giant. <laughs> He's true. not a Looney Tune, but Warner Brothers cartoon. Go back you to the archives. To, you trying to hit my feels here, mister? Like, That's right. <laughs> watch, it, watch it. Get you off your game so I can win the pitches. But I mean, but that that's a good point that you bring up, Jeremy, is that Warner Brothers cartoons, even by the time Eric and Jeff and I were growing up in the 80s, that was a situation where they had already bid on TV. 
TV for a long time, like, you know, 30, 40 years. It existed longer than that. Like, by 1990, Bugs Bunny was already 50 years old. They were kind of old hat in a way, and yet they never really left because... Looney Tunes cartoons were constantly being repackaged. So there was always like the Sylvester and Tweety Hour or the Bugs Bunny show and Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner show. Like it was always some version of that. It was just the old shorts they were just showing over and over and over again. And anytime right. they tried to reboot or give you a new version, it just was never the same quality. It didn't quite hit. Now for me, when it comes to a, a vocal performance, the only one I feel I could somewhat imitate is mm, this makes me very angry you know to little marvin the martian but <laughs> overall i think if, if i had a favorite it's probably foghorn leghorn not no, uh, i'll oh, say I'll, I'll say boy you know <laughs> like he's such like a forceful overconfident know-it-all and i love him for it you know i'm a chicken hawk oh boy now what you're saying you know so <laughs> i enjoy me some foghorn leghorn just for his ridiculousness so the other question is then when you guys think back to the whole you know looney tunes experience is there a particular short that maybe stands out for you just some of the maybe the more iconic ones or one that was a personal favorite where you say that was a good gag even if it's not the entire story you're remembering but you're like i remember when this happened and that was pretty good jeff i mean personally like you said i, I did always love foghorn leghorn just characterization wise but the interesting thing for me i saw actually a documentary on chuck jones and it was talking about specifically the one where the guy had the frog in the box that would sing hello my baby hello oh, my that one. you know that one <laughs> michigan j said, frog yeah yeah to animators that's the citizen cane of animation that that mm. is for most animators that's the most brilliant animated short ever made like that's the pinnacle of it and for me yeah that really brought a hold to hear these famous animators going on and on about this cartoon it really brought it to life all the different dimensions that is the one thing as much as i love disney disney never accomplished the level of depth that looney tunes did other than that one which to be honest like i just i respect those animators that say that but the one that's always gotten for me is the one that bugs and elmer do where they do the whole they get involved in an opera and they end up living out the end of the opera with song and everything. And he gets struck by lightning and he sings and he's killed the rabbit and everything. And that's just, yeah, breathtaking. That's always a fun one, definitely. And there always was a really strong tie with animation, but especially it felt like the Looney Tunes taking like classical pieces of music or opera and working them into the stories of the presentation. So for sure. Eric, did you have one particular Wiley Coyote death that was a favorite? <laughs> I didn't catalog them, but <laughs> what really comes into my mind are two things. That sound that they make with the slide whistle when yeah. he's falling. And just like, and that's a sound that you will hear if you listen to cartoons <laughs> or watch cartoons for like the rest of time. Anybody falling from a height, they'll use that sound. Right. And it's just, it's one of those iconic sounds that's in my mind. And then I've always, like, growing up as a kid, I thought for sure there was an Acme company that I could <laughs> order all of these things from. And they would arrive out in the middle of nowhere, and it was, like, the greatest thing. And now we have Amazon. So I guess that's kind of Yeah, soon enough, and the <laughs> drones will bring it right to you. Yeah, all exactly. a good time. So I just thought Acme company was, like, the coolest, most real thing, but it didn't exist. And <laughs> I only later found that out. 
in my life. Now, I know for me, the duck season, rabbit season, where you have Bugs versus Daffy, and Elmer Fudd is trying to decide which one he's going to shoot. That whole game that they play is probably just one of the most clever deals, and it's, it's classic comedy. It's something you see in a lot of, like, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm saying what you're saying, and now you're saying what... Oh, yeah! And, you know, so I think the thing that I love about that, too, though, is in the Looney Tunes shorts, generally, there wasn't a whole crossover. It was wasn't a shared universe. You had Sylvester and Tweety were a duo, Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote were a duo. You know, it, it wasn't like you always had them interchanging, you know, occasionally like Daffy would team up with Porky or something. So to have Bugs and Daffy together, and like Jeff said, just kind of the, the differing attitudes there, even though, you know, Daffy started out as more just like a big moron, you know, like he wasn't focused on becoming a star like he seemed to be later, which actually reminds me, if I was going to pick one that's like really close to me for nostalgia purposes, do you guys remember the opening to the 1989 Batman VHS that had Bugs and Daffy talking about the Warner Brothers catalog that you could order. That no. had, yeah, you don't you don't remember seeing that? Oh, so like every time I'd pop in the Batman VHS, like there they were telling you about all the stuff you could buy. They would have like you know they would draw Batman shirts on Bugs <laughs> and stuff like that. Like it was hilarious and like a Batman cap, you know. So they were all about like buy our stuff. So anyway, I just I, I guess technically I don't know if that really counts, but that was one like I know pretty well. So, <laughs> so your Definitely. favorite memory is Looney Tunes corporate shills? There like, you go. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Warner Brothers marketing works for me. Like you said, Adam, the, the duck hunt, rabbit hunt, the whole hunting trilogy there of cartoons was really good. The duck dodgers of the 24th and a half century. Yeah. That one was a classic. Just looking through a list of these, and it's funny how many I remember just based off of one image. The hair-raising hair. Yes. I don't I don't know if you guys remember that, but that one's definitely one that sticks in my mind, that orange character. Right. Who I think officially is named Gossamer over time. It finally yeah. got a name, but it wasn't like at the time, you know. He was named Bruda and then Gossamer eventually. I, the one thing I have to mention, too, is that it felt like, like we were saying, that Looney Tunes kind of, they, they lasted and they were there. And I think that was like a way of teaching comedy to like younger kids. I mean, that was the introduction. But it also felt like by the late 80s and early 90s, it really just wasn't quite where it once was you know the new generation wasn't ready for it and it felt like it wasn't until the early 90s when steven spielberg produced tiny toon adventures that the looney tunes characters like took off in a big way as part of pop culture again yeah because like i have a copy of the bugs bunny 50th anniversary collector's magazine that i bought as a kid it has like this big announcement that tiny tune adventures from steven spielberg is coming you know and he says basically he always preferred looney tunes to disney so that's why he wanted to bring them back into the spotlight but that show was huge like you guys remember that right yeah tiny tune adventures yes yeah. It's that interesting thing that I think speaks to what you're talking about, Adam, is that if you ask me, Tiny Toon Adventures was nothing like Bugs Bunny. It was way, way more mellow and way more PC and way – and like for me, I, I love Tiny Toon Adventures and then I would watch old Bugs Bunny and I was like, whoa, this is way different. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there because I feel like, I mean, there were different 
censoring groups that had popped up during the 80s so i'm sure there were different standards and practices on some level like people probably weren't going to get shot in the face with uh <laughs> with a hunting rifle like the double barrel you know like it was back in the day but there was just, there weren't so many explosives but at the same time they really did just like looney tunes would grab pop culture movie actors and famous people of the day and put them into their shows and you wouldn't know who they are today unless it's like clark gable or somebody every once in a while but they did that in tiny student adventures like i remember like michael keaton's batman showing up and madonna and Cher and roseanne Barr. like not that they were doing their own voices but as caricatures they were there but you're probably right it was toned down slightly um, but every kid in my elementary school, they knew that theme song. Like, I, I sure. would I would challenge you today, you could start singing it on the bus. They're tiny, they're toony, and 50% of the people around you could finish it. They're all a little loony. Like, you could be a crazy person, but you might also uh, become the leader of a Tiny Toon Adventures flash mob. <laughs> there you go. Or the Although, Animaniacs. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say, is that for me, I felt like the real wackiness, where they kind of got the closest to that irreverence that was Looney Tunes was the Animaniacs, but Animaniacs, there was a, like more pushback, I felt. Not so much from us, but for more adult groups and like they were a little too far out there ironically because even though they were i think were closer to, to the actual bugs bunny hello nurse yeah <laughs> which was interesting because animaniacs then spun off pinky in the brain like they got their own show and then it was pinky in the brain and elmira from tiny tune adventures so that was a weird crossover and then tasmania was another big one Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even to a lesser extent, there was Freakazoid, which I always thought was great, but it just didn't quite connect with people. And then Hysteria. Don't try to teach us things. Come on, Warner Brothers. You don't have any of your classic characters in there. You're just going to teach us about Christopher Columbus. No, thank you. Do you guys remember how big Taz was as like oh, the boy, breakout yeah. character of the 90s? He was like that 90s extreme attitude. He was it. Which is ironic because he's he's a non-character. It's like Elmo in early Sesame Street. He's not even a thing. And then all of a sudden they make him so huge with the characterization and his own like plot lines or whatever. But like what I remember really kicking off and saying, oh, okay, Looney Tunes are back in a big way was, do you remember there were Warner Brothers studio stores where you could buy all sorts of Looney Tunes merchandise and even like original animation cells. Like they had galleries in these stores, you know, spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on this like original piece of art from Chuck Jones or whatever. And the store near us where Eric and Jeff and I was the South Coast Plaza shopping mall. And that was the only store I cared about. <laughs> Everything else is high end fashion and whatever else. I'm like, I have zero interest, mostly because the studio store had DC superheroes and they had this big display that were like these life-size mannequin sculptures of the Justice League and that was like the closest I felt like I got to seeing those heroes brought to life direct from the comics you know like I said Tim Burton's Batman had come out but just the looking at them was like they're real and I, if I could have those in my house today I would and my wife would have to deal with it <laughs> Eric and Jeff did you ever go to that store do you remember it I remember it don't remember going to that store no. really because like they had a Marvin the Martian spaceship 
that was like inside. It was like a play area that kids could crawl around inside and push buttons. It had TV screens that played the old Duck Dodgers on the 24th and a half century cartoons and Marvin the Martian cartoons. So like, it was always really fun. You'll definitely remember this then. Do you remember how the Looney Tunes suddenly were appearing on hip hop, urban fashion t-shirts? Do you remember this with Bugs and Taz? They had <laughs> yeah. sagging pants and backwards baseball caps, baseball jerseys. They look like thugs. Do you remember this? The Looney Tunes cultural appropriation. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about Space Jam, right? And I think, <laughs> I just think that they, you want to build. It's like, how do we get to a point where Space Jam could happen? Because it is interesting is that, and that's one of the things that I'm sure we're going to talk about, is that this is designed to be a Looney Tunes movie, but the way it's remembered is as a basketball movie, as a Michael Jordan movie. It even says, like like Jeremy Red, starring Michael Jordan. But it should be saying starring Bugs Bunny and featuring Michael Jordan, but that's kind of not how we remember it, I don't think. I, I don't know. That might have been my uh, curating of the synopsis in reading. Well, he's also on the cover, and like he was very prominently featured yeah, because no, he's like says that the, the two top build are bugs bunny and michael jordan but let's get into that then because you know we have sports fans here now you know jeremy generally the, the baseball guy jeff generally the basketball football guy you know and you got eric generally Wait, the baseball what? hockey Me? guy yeah no I, I don't like baseball is that what you're saying no i have said baseball <laughs> and football You've, you've, you've made a terrible mistake, Adam. <laughs> I feel like we've known each other a little longer than this, right? Is it just all sport just kind of blends together in your mind? How many times did I go to your house and you were watching UCLA football games, Jeff, on a, on a Saturday and I'd come over? Yeah, because that's what happens on Saturday. Any other day of the week. <laughs> how, how deep do we want to get into the conspiratorial rabbit hole, pun intended, on why Jordan was available to do this movie? Oh, not on why Adam doesn't know you that well? No, <laughs> that's where I was going. <laughs> Jeff wants to debate the merits of our friendship. Yeah, and that's what but, you know, we no, I'm talking about. I'm with either topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, what do you got? I think I know where he's going with this. All right, so was it 91, 92, 93 were the three championships, correct? They are all primed to go back and win it and just keep winning. And all of a sudden, his father is murdered in a random robbery while he was sleeping on the side of the road, MJ decides to retire suddenly and take up baseball, living out this dream for his father. Shocks the whole world. Everybody is just flabbergasted. He is the most dominant player in the NBA. He just won a three-peat. He's at the prime of his life and just randomly disappears. Well, he goes off, plays for the Birmingham affiliate double-A team for the White Sox, and now we need to get into a little conspiracy here. So in 94-95, there were some big things going on investigatively. Well, he, he had a gambling habit, yes? Oh, he did, yes. Yeah. He had a major gambling habit, as did coaches, players, uh, referees. Like, there was some deep investigations going on. And uh, David Stern kind of kind of said, hey, we need you to go away a little while because if this all comes out, we can't have you in the league. So if you are retired, then we can't do anything to you. 
if this does surface or if you're found guilty of having bet on games that you were playing in and fixing them. So there have been a couple great podcasts I've listened to on this Jordan conspiracy, and there's plenty of evidence to support that this is a major reason why he retired and then came back once everything was cleared although his explanation that he had accomplished everything he could in the field of basketball pretty much stands right look you guys know traditionally i am not the world's foremost sports expert (laughs) however he is literally the best basketball player ever like of all time Magic Johnson? Who are you going to say, Jeff? Larry are you Larry? going with Kobe? No, Will Chamberlain. There's not even a debate. It, it, he, Jordan is in top five. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I will admit that he is popularly known today, at least until LeBron retires, as the best player. Yeah, obviously of a certain generation, that's how he was promoted to us as kids. And that's the best promoted player of all time. I will agree with that, too. And this is one of the reasons why, I should say. Because it's not like he already was. He'd only won three championships. And in the history of the NBA, I mean, Robert Ory won more than three championships. It's not that big of a deal. You're pulling Robert Ory. (laughs) It's true. He's a big deal. And this made him an even bigger deal. And then his weird friendship or whatever with Larry Bird. And yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Because, yeah, this is kind of the culmination of so many sponsorships that Michael Jordan had. And that's what I knew him from, right? Because he... He's doing McDonald's commercials. He's got his Nike commercials for Air Jordans. He has his own shoe. Still the most popular sneaker of any time. Gatorade. Yeah. Hanes. You know, he would do Hanes commercials. All these things that were associated with Michael Jordan. He even had his own line of Valentine's Day cards at one point. I mean, he was on everything. And so it's one of those things where you just, you you couldn't escape Michael Jordan. If it was basketball, immediately your brain went to Michael Jordan. And then it always felt like, yeah, Larry Bird was like right there, but not quite because Larry Bird was basically not willing to do as many endorsements, it seems, because he's kind of a curmudgeon. Like, I I don't know if he just turned Uh, away money or what. Oh, come on. He teamed up with Michael on some commercials. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, No, I I know. He did some McDonald's commercials. Yeah. From a non-sports fan's perspective, (laughs) let me give you some. Now, if you ask me, the story of Michael Jordan begins, in a certain sense, with Magic Johnson retiring suddenly. Because at the time... The NBA was all about Magic Johnson and his rival, Larry Bird. And those two teams were in the playoffs every single year. And then Magic retires right as Jordan is coming up. And then Jordan was kind of without a peer because Larry Bird was an old man by the time they started doing Jordan versus Bird. Jordan versus Bird, there was no rivalry between Jordan and Bird. They manufactured that because there was nobody. What are you, Jordan versus Malone? Come on. There was nobody else for him to go up against. Barkley was an old man. All these people were old men. And by old men, you mean like 35. Well, by basketball. <laughs> by NBA standards, yes. Just younger than all of us. I it's think. true. Yeah, so, I mean, because Michael Jordan, you talk about he's going to be in a movie. Like, what's up with that? But we did have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Airplane. <laughs> he had a, a cameo in our last episode, Troop Beverly Hills. He's in that movie. You know, oh, he, he, he was Bruce in a Bruce Lee, Lee film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There you go. So, I mean, so there was some precedent for basketball stars making it to the big screen. But 
what is interesting is that this film really is the combination of two different basketball-focused commercial campaigns. So first, when Michael did his retirement speech, Bill Murray, I just found out about this today because he's in this movie and there's a joke about him being friends with the producer. I'm like, oh yeah, Ivan Reitman made the Ghostbusters movies, so Bill Murray's going to be in this movie. There's more to it. Bill Murray did these press conferences and these fake commercials where he was saying i'm giving up the entertainment industry and i'm gonna join the nba and so that was like this whole like andy kaufman-esque run that bill murray was going on and they did commercials and all this stuff and then michael jordan and bugs bunny were teaming up i ended up with a tape of the super bowl from 1993 and you see michael jordan and bugs bunny having to outsmart marvin the martian and his giant alien creature to get michael's new air jordans back so that was like the first time you're getting michael jordan and bugs in this animated adventure so it's kind of like putting those two concepts together and then let's expand that a couple of years later it takes a couple of years for animation to be put together anyway and now you have space jam out of nowhere you could have the looney tunes in a future film you could have michael jordan there and we've seen it before there's some you know precursor to that the question becomes then did you guys see this in theaters did you guys see this in the 90s eric so i was thinking back when i knew that we were going to be talking about this and i was like okay what do i actually remember about this movie I was a pretty big Chicago sports fan growing up. My whole family's from Illinois. So the Bulls were my team, and I really loved Michael Jordan. And I remember feeling, like, super shocked when he was retiring, and I was like, what is going on? I was super confused. He doesn't play baseball. And then when this movie came out, my main memory is just being really excited to see this movie. I just was like, this is going to be the greatest movie ever. It's cartoons and Michael Jordan playing basketball. And then I know for a fact that I saw it in the theater, but I only remember two things from the actual movie. One of them was when one of the little aliens says, don't move a muscle. I don't know why that's in there, but I say that in my classroom sometimes to my students and they'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know where that movie reference came from, guys. <laughs> and then the only other thing I remember is Michael Jordan's his special. It's not special sauce. It's it's <laughs> Basically, yeah. The, his his like special sports drink and thinking like they're basically going to win based on the placebo effect. <laughs> but that's all I remember from the actual movie. But I remember loving it as a kid. That's the best I can say. Okay. Jeff, how about you? Well, one thing I should point out, it came out in 96, so we weren't exactly kids. We were sophomores in high school. So for me, like, I didn't really have an affinity for the Looney Tunes up until I became more of an adult and had more of an adult appreciation for them. And as a Lakers fan, I did not enjoy Michael Jordan. So, yeah, I was... <laughs> I was not at all interested in this movie. And add to that the fact that I didn't really see movies out in the theater. So it was just going to be something that, are we going to rent it? Which, no. <laughs> so I would have watched it on TV. But honestly, this one wasn't on TV a whole lot. I'd see it on TNT every now and again, but not frequently. Okay. How about you, Jeremy? Jordan was right up my alley. The Bulls were my team. I came from Oregon, and although the trailblazers were there and i did root them on i was definitely in the camp of michael jordan and the bulls even with this movie i had a lot of merch for it at one point in time 
I had and I believe I still have the Michael Jordan action figure that's like 18 inches tall. Oh, yeah. I think he's lost both feet. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, boy. One is screwed back on, like literally with a screw. But the other one, I don't remember if it's still missing or if it's reattached or surgically. I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, I've I've got it. Uh, this movie was on a rotation in my place. Oh, wow. Okay. Because the closest I got to any sort of NBA team affiliation as a kid is at a garage sale once in like 1991. <laughs> I picked up a hat that said magic on it, and it had like a star kind of logo, and I wore that hat. I still have pictures of myself. It's my magic hat, because it's magic. Not Magic Johnson, not anything. Just, it was magic to me. I guess I was an Orlando Magic fan, but not really. And even like, as far as like sports and Looney Tunes leading up to this... I don't know if you remember this. This is this is actually, Eric, one thing I've learned about you recently, which you criminally held back for the 20 years that we've known each other, is that your dad was actually responsible for printing many big trading card sets of the 90s for various sports, <laughs> right? And my personal True. favorite, cards based on Marvel Comics characters. And there was a series from Upper Deck called Comic Ball. And I don't know if you guys remember these, but it was like Nolan Ryan and Reggie Jackson with the Looney Tunes out on the field and they were just in different scenarios it was kind of like a comic that you would read the whole story by getting the whole set of cards and i still have a pack of those that was also as close as i ever got to collecting sports cards so when space jam is coming out i i actually had friends also super into the bulls super everything is great you know and i was like well just not for me i i'm not gonna make it to the theater to see this in fact you know hearing space jam i'm just like i don't i don't really understand what that has to do with basketball in this context and so just nothing computed so it, it wasn't until literally last year i'd heard people singing its praises for decades and i just picked up the dvd in a walmart five dollar bin for my son because he's defied the laws of genetics and loves all sports uh-huh. so he, he's a sports fanatic and i'm just like what like i read him comic books to when he goes to bed to try to turn him but he still wants just wants to play soccer he's playing <laughs> t-ball right now i'm assistant coaching i don't know what i'm doing it's one of those things where i'm just like all right we're gonna have to deal with it and so he enjoys it you know he gets a kick out of it basketball is one of his favorites but i'll just be honest the only reason i would ever go back to watch this movie are the bill murray scenes because he's the mvp whether he's on the golf course or the basketball court he's bringing the funny with his overconfidence and his false dreams of glory you know (laughs) like he's pretty fantastic and the other part i'll just mention is you know this film also had a huge soundtrack like the soundtrack for Space Jam was everywhere. I believe I Could Fly by R. Kelly was a massive yeah, radio I'm hit. To mention that anymore. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah when well. I watched it today, I was taking notes on the movie, and the very first note I put was, "Ooh, problematic opening with R. Kelly song." Yeah. Well, I hope I hope his residual checks are total enough to pay off his legal bills, because yeah, monster-sized sure issues. <laughs> but yeah, but this movie was a massive hit. I mean, it was a big deal, and they wanted to get a sequel going for years. I mean, they, they were trying, but Michael Jordan didn't want to come back. I mean, his story was told. So of all people, they went to Jackie Chan. They wanted to make a movie called Spy Jam? Huh? 
like Jackie Chan is a spy. I mean, I remember that one movie, The Tuxedo or whatever it was called, where he had a magic tuxedo. But anyway, that did work out. So they went to a NASCAR driver named Jeff Gordon for Race Jam. Now that makes a little more sense. You know, it's in keeping. They went to Tiger Woods for a golf-based jam film. Again, problematic later on. And even pro skateboarder and video game icon Tony Hawk for Skate Jam. I mean, those are all logical, yet kind of nuts, because I would say, personally, it feels like none of those people are on the level of Michael Jordan for just general notoriety. Well, if you think about the titles of all of those, the original, Space Jam, if you swap out the first word, Spy Jam, what's the jam? Because the (laughs) jam is the basketball connotation, and the aliens came from space, so I don't, what are they doing? (laughs) Don't make any sense to me. Yeah, so, I mean, they had the concept in their mind, I guess, for all of these, and so it seems like, really, you could team up the Looney Tunes with anybody, and so they that's what they did. Brendan Fraser <laughs> is who they ended up going with for, you know, a, a non-sports-based Looney Tunes film, so, I mean, and that was even different because they did that, I believe, with computer animation. But yeah, it's one of those things where it's just kind of like, all right, nobody cares. Although I heard that critically, it got better reviews than Space Jam, because I guess it was funnier, I don't know. But <laughs> but generally, it wasn't received by the general public in such a way. And I guess, like, if you guys could point to an actual entertaining moment, I pointed out Bill Murray, but in this movie, and having recently rewatched it, do you guys get joy out of the Looney Tunes themselves? Anybody? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Such a defeatist sound. And me rewatching it, honestly, I mean, I wrote down some things, but the only thing that I actually enjoyed was when Bill Murray showed up at the end and yep. just watching him play five seconds of basketball and he's doing the no look passes and, and then he's like I gotta go ice my knees right now <laughs> like that was it I watched it and I was like okay there's no ref in this game characters are shooting people in the face with guns and Pulp Fiction references there's just felony after felony being committed what is happening here and just the fact that my Michael Jordan in the real world, you know, he's not in Looney Tune world, gets sucked through a golf hole <laughs> and Larry Bird and Bill Murray just walk away and like, yeah, he'll be all right. Like, <laughs> no. So, yeah, that was my experience. OK, fair enough. Jeff, did the tune logic upset you somehow? Well, actually, the, the, the part that kind of got me through, which is not, I don't know, it's kind of cheating to say, is a couple of years ago, two of my favorite players from the Clippers, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, who are just kids at heart and literally kids as well, they staged a dramatic reading in Hollywood of Space Jam. <laughs> and I heard that because Blake is quite the actor. DeAndre less so, but DeAndre did all the Charles Barkley lines in his Charles Barkley impression. <laughs> and oh, that just that carried me. That just it still makes me laugh. Charles Barkley is quite a character. Yeah, I mean, like of all the 
pros to get their powers stolen. Barkley definitely, obviously, he had done the right guard commercials. He he had a lot of uh, experience under his belt. He definitely brought a lot to the table because I would say next to Bill Murray, he's the best comedic actor in this film. I mean, props to Billy West as Bugs Bunny. I mean, he does That's a great job. That's not saying much for poor Wayne Knight there. Uh, <laughs> I just I feel bad for Wayne Knight because he got pigeonholed in that you know stupid fat guy role, and I think he's much more talented than that but nobody ever wanted to see that i you could know? not wait for his scenes to be over <laughs> They're like it's that guy from jurassic park everybody loves him so it was one of those movies that like i said it has had that legacy it is finally getting a sequel lebron james had to prove that he could make some money at the box office you know he recently much like our most hated enemy channing tatum has gotten <laughs> into a voice acting and he did that small foot movie i rented that for my kids and they loved it so huh. he's, he's in that so i mean I guess he, like he's really getting into the entertainment world in a big way. Now, you know, not like Shaq did. You know, we're probably not going to get a Kazam. We're probably not going to get a rap album from LeBron. He probably learned from uh, from Shaq's mistakes. You know, oh, darn, we're not but, going to get are you a Kazam. Sure? I don't think people <laughs> learn from these mistakes. <laughs> he knows a lot of stuff. I mean, Kobe got an Oscar, so I don't know what to say about uh, that. Like he took the best road. I, I got to produce an animated short about my life, and that's going to get me you know real good respect i'm not going to be ridiculous and actually try to act or perform i was like okay there were two nfl players who dropped rap tracks today (laughs) they don't learn i guess not were they good like (laughs) let's just say the one running back the tweet i saw today somebody was like hey auto-tune doing all the work like your offensive line does oh But yeah, so with that on the horizon, I believe it's slated for 2021, there is supposed to be a Space Jam 2. However, anything could happen. That could fall through. You know, there could be a scandal with LeBron. We never know what's going to happen. Well, he's got time on his hands because he ain't making the playoffs, so. (laughs) (laughs) And he's been benched. He's been sent home and will not play the rest of the the year. So with that, we have some ideas ourselves for a Space Jam sequel. And maybe you like ours better. Like I say, there's time. We got we got a couple years before this is going to come out. Maybe they can work in some of our ideas into the final product. So, Eric, why don't you kick us off with your idea for Space Jam 2? So, it's tentatively titled Space Jam 2 because I could not think of a quippy tagline. <laughs> so, from the first film, um, by the way, uh, Planet Moron, really? Like, are we really calling our... our uh, Moron Mountain. Moron, Moron Mountain. Mountain. Yeah. Exactly. So, in, in my sequel for Space Jam 2, it's pretty similar, I'm not going to lie. We have, instead of Swackhammer, we have the <laughs> villain named Smackjammer, because <laughs> why not? And he is the proprietor and operator of Planet Parlay, which is a cartoon betting planet. It's like the seedier version of Las Vegas, but for like cartoons and the aliens and things. And at Parlay Planet, uh, they make all their money based on 
on cartoon betting, and cartoon betting is like they bet on how many times like a slapstick thing is going to happen. Because I was thinking about Looney Tunes cartoons, a lot of slapstick stuff, right? So they bet on slapstick, and but they got bored with cartoon betting, so now they're betting on actual humans. And Smackjammer decides to open up a new way to bet based on wacky basketball plays. Look out! So like, <laughs> if somebody misses a dunk or like takes a ball to the face or like misses a pass or like you know when they go for the ball going out of bounds and they like jump into the crowd and boot some person eating a hot dog. So they're like betting on how many times those kinds of things happen. But the players have gotten so good in today's NBA that they barely do anything wacky or stupid anymore. So he sends down his League of Dumb Minions again. What were they called? I forget. The Does anybody nerd locks. Sure, you didn't have to read that. And <laughs> <laughs> they're so iconic. So he sends his minions down and instead of stealing their talent, the minions go inside their body and inhabit them and so they infest the league with the minions posing as players and so he's kind of like rigging the game of the betting system and he's creating all these wacky stupid plays and the games are getting out of hand and nobody scores and the games go into a tie of like 0-0 which technically isn't possible but you know we'll figure out a way because of the plot. <laughs> and so in the Looney Tune world this affects them because the games are getting so ridiculous that people start watching basketball games and stop watching cartoons because they can get all of their Looney Tunes action from wow. actual human beings and so they start to lose power and they draw all their power from laughter and people watching them but they get nothing and their, their soul and their essence is like diminishing so Bugs Bunny and the crew put together an investigative team to try to figure out what's going on and, and why everybody is watching basketball and they figure out what's happening and so they enlist the three players left that they can use to figure this whole thing out and they get Steph Curry, because I just really like Steph Curry. I think he's amazing. And then Giannis Antetokounmpo, because he's got the greatest name ever. And James Harden, because you have to have the beard on your team. And they, they enlist them to go battle the new Monstars, which uh, were LeBron, Kyrie Irving, Jokic, Westbrook, and Anthony Davis. They challenge to a new basketball game at the uh, Parlay Planet, and a wild game ensues with all of the star players, hijinks, cartoon shooting each other in the faces, no refs once again, because why would we have logic this time? And they win, and basketball is saved, and so are the Looney Tunes because <laughs> that's what I came up with. You sure did. <laughs> wow. What a premise. <laughs> I have to say, Eric, I knew none of those names except for LeBron. I think that he is the most current icon of basketball that I know. Prior to that, it's it's Allen Iverson or something. Like, oh, I wow. know nothing. How do you know Allen Iverson? <laughs> I don't know. All right, Jeff, what do you got? All right, so I'm going in a very different direction because my issue with Space Jam is that it turns into a Michael Jordan movie. So I'm going to call my sequel Looney Tunes Swackstaff. And it takes place after the original film where Swackhammer's rocket that they put him in at the end is actually off course. So instead of going back to Moron 
village. Moron Mor- Mountain. Moron <laughs> Mountain. Mountain. Uh, well, get Moron Village. Moron Village. You know, it doesn't go to either of those. It goes to this other planet where the inhabitants end up looking like Marvin the Martian, but they sing everything that they say very dramatically. So as the scenes take place both on Earth and on that planet, on that planet everybody's singing, but back on Earth obviously we don't. So Swackhammer is trapped there, but he learns that there are these two very prominent men with somewhat, shall we say, bored wives. So he comes up with this idea that if he could woo those wives, then maybe he could get the power and end up taking over this planet. So what he does is he sends identical letters to each one of the women that says, you know, I'm in love with you. Your husband doesn't appreciate you, rah, 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 rah. But both of the women, unfortunately, know each other. So they just share the letters and they go, seriously? So they decide then to contact Earth because they look into this Swackhammer guy and they get in touch with the Looney Tunes characters and say, hey, can you send some help to deal with this guy? So Bugs and Daffy come in the first wave and they come up with this plan to get back at Swackhammer. Uh, It starts with Bugs, which, by the way, I should point out, the entire rest of this movie now, once they come back to this planet, is all done in song because we are doing this as an homage (laughs) to the opera of Falstaff. So Bug shows up in the disguise known as Mr. Brook, offers to pay Swackhammer to seduce or to woo, we're using, one of those two women, which he's like, great, now I'm getting paid to do it doubly. But then when he actually meets this woman for the first time, of course, it's actually Daffy in disguise. So they do this really odd sort of wooing thing. And then Bugs in his Mr. Brook disguise shows up in a jealous rage saying that he's actually the one that's in love with this woman that is Daffy in disguise and whatever. So then Swackhammer flees because of all of the chaos. And then as he's lamenting all of the woe is he and stuff like that, he runs into a bar bartender, but it is Porky Pig in disguise, who persuades him that that woman that was actually Daffy in disguise was actually innocent because it wasn't her fault that Mr. Brooke, Bugs in disguise, showed up and did that whole thing. So he should try it again, but this time he needs to go in disguise. So they give a disguise for Swackhammer, but meanwhile, Sylvester shows up and they tell Sylvester, you play the other woman, but I want you to come in disguise as the queen of the fairies. Now we're literally getting the false stuff right now. So... You show up as the queen of the fairies, and then all of the other Looney Tunes, you all show up in disguise too, and we'll continue getting back at Swackhammer. So at the stroke of midnight, Daffy in disguise appears, declaring her his her whatever love for Swackhammer, but then suddenly runs away because she hears the spirits approaching. And that's when the queen of the fairies, Sylvester in disguise, shows up summoning all of her followers who pinch and poke Falstaff as fairies, promising for him to give up his wretched ways. But in the middle of this assault, as Swackhammer is bursting into tears, recognizes that one of the fairies is actually Porky in disguise, realizing that he's been tricked. They all get a good laugh, and Swackhammer admits that he's been silly, but believes that he's actually bringing out the best in all of them. So then they all sit down to a big happy meal together, and they all agree that the whole world is nothing but a jest filled with jesters. 
<laughs> Jeff, I, I'm sensing a, a new theme for you, which is going back to our last episode, you're going to take the perspective of the villain from the previous film, and then you're adding your old efforts of always grabbing an existing story. So this is amazing that you're combining these two uh, habits of yours. So. All right, there you go. All right, Jeremy, do you want to go or do you want me to take it? I'm just here for how Adam is going to unsportify this type of sequel, so... (laughs) Well, I will tell you, so my first impulse, I wanted to call my movie Space Slam, and it was going to have the Looney Tunes characters participating in an intergalactic wrestling match with the WWE (laughs) superstars, because we did go through a phase with our friends during the Monday Night Wars in the late 90s, where we were watching a lot of wrestling, and that was my initial impulse, but I just said, does it have to be sports? No, it does not, but we could still get into a similar situation really you just got to have space in there so i personally had a great affinity for the looney tunes mcdonald's happy meal where they combined the dc superheroes with the looney tunes characters oh wow and so i said how can i turn this into a movie in the vein of space jam so i give you space jam 2 justice jam so, Darkseid, a humorless intergalactic tyrant, has finally made his move to conquer our section of the galaxy through an uneasy alliance with the emotionless robotic villain named Brainiac. The Justice League of the DC Extended Universe, consisting in this case of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, and Cyborg, Aquaman is unavailable, confronts the invaders as they attempt to retrieve a weapon stolen from Apocalypse found in Zod's spaceship that has been docked in Metropolis since the Man of Steel film, because every modern-day EU plot has to evolve that ship somehow. <laughs> the villains escape with the weapon through a boom tube as they announce their plan to use the weapon to siphon emotional energy from the planet's inhabitants in order to make the Earthlings their slaves that will be transformed into a parademon military force. Cyborg claims that he scanned the structure of the boom tube before the villainous duo retreated, and having been created through Motherbox technology himself believes he should be able to replicate the wormhole and give chase to Darkseid and Brainiac. But during the Justice League's trip, the makeshift boom tube malfunctions after picking up a television transmission of an old Bugs Bunny cartoon, sending the heroes to the world of the Looney Tunes. Arriving there, Batman and Superman are frustrated by the zaniness of the tunes in this animated world, getting into a nonsensical circular debate with Bugs and Daffy about the ethical dilemmas of superheroing that is comically ended by the duck and bunny duo uttering the name Martha in unison. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Cyborg and Wonder Woman find Porky and Petunia Pig to be an endearing couple of porkers. The Flash has found friendship with Taz because he is actually able to translate the whirling fuzzball's seeming gibberish talk due to the fact that his brain can process sound faster than a normal human. Turns out, Taz is a real deep philosophical thinker who's just frustrated by the dum-dums of the Looney Tunes universe. Batman tries to convince the Looney Tunes to help them get back to Earth to stop the evasion, but Bugs makes the Justice League agree to a set of silly Olympic game events before he'll take them through the rabbit hole portal. Of course, the Flash has to race Speedy Gonzalez in the 100-yard dash, but he loses. 
Batman competes against Marvin the Martian on a giant chessboard filled with Looney Tunes characters as game pieces, but loses when his players go for gags instead of following his instructions. Wonder Woman has a rodeo roping contest with Yosemite Sam, which she wins after Sam accidentally gets roped by her lasso of truth and admits to wearing star-spangled underpants disappearing in shame. Cyborg competes against Wiley e. Coyote constructing gadgets to catch the Roadrunner, and both fail, so it's a draw. With the score tied, Superman is the last to compete against the Red Monster, aka Gossamer, in a test of strength, which the Red Giant is about to win when the contest is interrupted by Brainiac, who had put a tracker on Cyborg during their earlier encounter, and kidnaps Lola Bunny to find out the secret of cartoon indestructibility. Cyborg manages to keep the boom tube portal open long enough for the Justice League to enter the portal, but also wishing to save their friend, so do Bugs, Daffy, Porky, and Petunia Pig, and the Tasmanian Devil. While inside the portal, the beings undergo a strange merging, which causes the Looney Tunes to emerge on the other side with the following new personas and powers. Daffy becomes Bat Duck. Bugs Bunny is Super Bugs. Petunia transforms into Wonder Pig. Taz becomes Taz Flash. And Porky has metamorphosed into Cypork. The Justice League realizes they have been depowered, except Batman, who had no powers to begin with, so they give the Toons a quick lesson in using their new abilities on the way to Darkseid's fortress and are attacked by parademons, which the Looney League makes short work of using their superpowered advantage in silly ways. Brainiac still needs time to activate the weapon, so Darkseid decides to call his secret weapon, Mr. Mixix Pitalik, Miss Mizzleplik, for the fifth dimensional imp, who is the only being alive who can match the Looney Tunes for sheer unpredictability and wackiness. A reality-bending battle ensues, but the derby-wearing troublemaker is finally stopped by Batman, who uses the power of his mind to trick the villain into saying his own name backwards, forcing him to leave the planet for 90 days. Teaching the Looney League that victory isn't always based on power. However, the distraction of the battle gave Brainiac time to activate the weapon and siphon the energy of laughter from the Earth, turning the planet's inhabitants into miserable, joyless drones. While the villains gloat over their victory, the the Justice League covertly rescues Lola and finds the Looney League feeling defeated. But then the Justice League reveals their plan to set things right. Traveling through the boom tube back to the land of Looney Tunes, everyone returns to their original states and Superman makes a plea for the animated lunatics to bring joy back into the world with their antics. Dropping in at various sporting events worldwide, the Looney Tunes perform some wild gags at the World Cup Championship game, which has viewers from 90% of the world, and then the the Super Bowl, which covers the United States. The Looney Tunes patented brand of slapstick comedy brings lots of laughter and lots of celebrity cameos, which overloads the emotion siphoning machine, causing it to blow up in the face of Darkseid and Brainiac, and the day is saved. The Justice League admit that adding a little humor to their heroic techniques might serve them well, and the Looney Tunes wish them luck as the heroes return home. But Bugs reveals that he held on to a little bit of Superman's flying powers, asking, Ain't I a stinker? As Porky Pig gives his classic sign-off and credits roll. Sports! We worked him in there. (laughs) All right, well, on that note, let's head to the votes. Adam, where do you fall? 
Well, I gotta be honest, I'm not up on my opera, and my appreciation of classic tales. Was Falstaff a demon, Jeff? I don't know. I'm uncultured. So, I really liked Eric's betting side of things. Betting on comedy basketball? Winning money on fails? I like this. That seems like a very current type of thing that we could get off the ground. So, Eric, you got my vote. <laughs> All right, Jeff, where does your vote fall? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that with <laughs> Eric's being the only one that actually follows on the basketball theme, which I think is 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 very valid. And I feel like, yeah, you did take it in a, a different enough direction, Eric, that I, I feel like that's valid. But I got to say, as soon as Bat, Daffy, and whatever, other than Cyber Porky or whatever, Cyber Pig, or that one kind of lost me. But the other ones, the other ones I was down for. So Adam would get my vote. Whoa. Oh, turn of events there. All right. Plot twist. (laughs) Oh, boy. Eric? Well, I have two minds about this, but I really, (laughs) just because of that. How crazy it was. I want to see Jeff's. <laughs> Which means it comes down to you. Yeah, down to Jeremy again. Hmm. Ah, uh, well, this, uh, this does complicate things. <laughs> because, oh boy. Uh, is it every time Eric is on the show that we go with his pitch? Because oh. that's where my vote has fallen. Hey, you know, you, about gotta, it. No, you gotta go with your heart. You know, you, you go with your heart, buddy. Well, I think it's well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> Though, as as Eric told us before the show, this is the only pitch he actually prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote something down, guys. I have I have a paragraph. <laughs> so yeah so i mean first of all yeah just the system of betting like i'm just imagining yeah the original concept of the betting on gags in the looney tunes cartoon gimmicks i think that's pretty hilarious because it's gonna be like oh yeah okay okay cliff breaks off cliff breaks off i'll put 20 bucks on cliff breaking <laughs> off you know or fake painted tunnel okay yeah okay that's 100 to 1 odds all right you know although that probably be, probably be less than that because <laughs> pretty common but like you said I, I think that whole mechanic in their betting system would actually be pretty hilarious and give you an opportunity to i feel like to get a fun group of cameos in there probably because you you probably could get like earth celebrities that have traveled to this planet as well as you know the intergalactic ones or people you assume are aliens that would show up it's just (laughs) elon musk like that's it yeah there you go (laughs) the other part of it too that i was trying to understand is so when were the what are they called again jeremy (laughs) nerd nerd lux nerd lux when they're becoming basketball players are they taking over basketball players bodies or they're just becoming new players steal their I powers they were again, taking I over imagine. like they were they were like yeah. taking over their bodies and and like rigging the game as far as like how many slapstick things happened okay i think one of my favorite things about re-watching the movie was watching mugsy bogues sean bradley and the rest all act like they were getting taken over by that purple <laughs> and getting their talent <laughs> stolen and then like just their body gyrations i was like wow that's really bad I was like, how can i create that on a bigger scale <laughs> Because I guess, like, yeah, that's one of those things at this point, obviously, with the history of Space Jam, like you were saying, Jeff, if people are staging readings, you probably could get a lot more NBA stars of today 
in on this and they would probably all be up for doing their own little comedic moment you maybe come to the table with their own gags you know so that's why i was trying to imagine what some of those would be that are not just the standard kind of ones that are named so you know again to up the comedy factor i mean you could go for classic slapstick stuff like you know people throwing banana peels or whatever but i feel like there's got to be something beyond that like are there distractions you can think of or would we be doing like actual somebody installs springs on somebody's sneakers and it like launches them out of the arena what what, what were you imagining well i know because like as a kid when i would go to any kind of sports game my favorite thing other than the game uh, sometimes was, <laughs> was watching like the blooper reel they'd show like in between innings there'd be like blooper reels of guys like not being able to catch a foul ball or something or getting hit in the head or my favorite blooper ever was Jose Canseco going back to catch yeah. a a warning track ball and it bouncing off his head and going in for over the fence for a home run. So like, I just loved those bloopers. So I kind of just imagined like when the players going to, they would just create so many basketball bloopers and it could be, it could even be like, you could expand it to like all sports and like, just get all the bloopers going in there. Because the thing that really jarred, like I talked about it before with the original space jam was like, where do you draw the line between the Looney tune world and the real world? When Michael Jordan gets sucked through that golf hole, he's, should be dead <laughs> like, <laughs> you've just killed one of the greatest players ever so like putting springs and stuff and having people shoot through the roof would be like well that guy's gonna die you know like where do you where, where do you draw the line so mainly it was just like feasible enough bloopers that could happen in a game that we've all seen before but like maybe to the next level i i didn't conceptualize all of them that could happen but i just thought that we, we've all seen just crazy well, stuff but, happen. but i imagine it could work for them technically because if it's the nerd lux doing it then they are sort of tune based so maybe they could be semi like maybe they endow the body they're taking over with an indestructibility factor so they could do more outrageous gags because if they're you know like you say they're trying to up the ante and they're trying to turn you know the odds in the favor of their boss so like a standard you know like you said like somebody you know running and then having to like jump on a chair that then ends up in the crowd you know that happens like we've seen that so people aren't going to think that's hilarious as much much but somebody doing a, a total like flip over their head just something random like i i was almost thinking and I, I don't know how this would fit in but you know like sometimes teams do like flashback night or future night where their uniforms are for the future like what you know what if it was just outdoorsman night and everybody's in camouflage something weird where there it leads to like people setting traps for each other on the court i don't know like where they allow for almost like a, a demolition derby thing like where the game of basketball is completely sullied. Don't do disco demolition night because they tried that once in, in, the, in Pittsburgh and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> so is this they're essentially trying to be the Harlem Globetrotters of Moron Mountain? <laughs> I like it. Well, if we wanted to kind of cross this over, I mean, Futurama had a whole planet for the Globetrotters. That's true. Maybe they land on Globetrotter Planet. I don't know. I mean, Billy West. 
But does Disney own Futurama now? Or are they going to be down? They saw that rivalry, don't they, with Warner's? Well, Futurama's kind of been passed around. Yeah, yeah okay. Does Disney own everything now? It does. Soon enough. 60%, at least, of Hulu. The one thing that I would say, and that's what I was thinking about, Eric, like your list, because I might modify your list, even though Adam doesn't recognize anybody you mentioned. But um, <laughs> I might modify because that's the one thing that I think Michael Jordan proved very well is that not everybody can act and it does kind of stand out when they can't. So like having watched the Metro PCS commercial that Giannis Antetokounmpo is in, I love I him, but I pretty, don't know that he can pull it off. Pretty uh, wooden. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, and even Steph Curry, uh, it's tough. I mean like, cause, cause the, the, on the flip side is if you're going to start doing like ridiculous nonsense, whatever, Steph Curry can do the nonsense, whatever. Like he is ridiculously talented to do it so poorly because you can do it so well. You can do it that poorly as well. But I might throw just, uh, and not just cause he's my favorite, but because I've, I've seen him do commercials, but I, I so I, I might throw in Blake Griffin. I think he would. He would do well. He's a funny guy. In addition to having actual NBA players, because it's selling more tickets, the owners of the teams, I think, are going to want to get in on that, and then are going to start hiring ringers. So they start hiring comedians to play on their teams. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to get Will Ferrell to play on their team. You know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that. Or Bill Murray can reprise his role. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he can handle it. He would literally have to ice his knees now. Well, I don't know. He is in a zombie movie now with adam driver yes i just saw the uh i just saw that today the trailer yeah hopefully that's not an april fool's joke i mean quite the cast they have is there a danger though of getting too overloaded if we put like five or six superstars from the nba and we throw in five or six legends from comedy at some point is it too much well, no, because I think the NBA players are literally there for a brief cameo, and then they get pushed to the background. Because, again, we said they're not actors, and there might be one or two that could do something, but, like, the rest of them are just kind of like, I'm here, I'm making a funny face, you know, whatever's happening, I'm falling down, you know, like, they do their little thing, but, you know, the main thrust of it all, because you have, you know, Bugs and Daffy, who we've not mentioned at all, <laughs> doing their investigation and sorting everything out uh, on the two side but i just feel like for the earth-based stuff you're gonna want actual you know comedic performers in there rather than you know just pushing the basketball players as far as they can go which is probably not very far i just like the idea of having an actually good basketball game at the end of the movie (laughs) 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 because the game in space jam is crazy which it's looney tunes i mean let's be honest i know that's what you came for yeah we're not we're not looking for uh blue chip I don't know. Is there good basketball of blue chips? I couldn't tell you. Did you just pull a blue chips reference? He doesn't know. That's the only. I know Shaq in movies. Shaq and Nick Nolte. <laughs> but I did say there are were they so listening? many other better basketball movies that you could. Oh, have it's true. Pulled. Are but... there Space Jam's the, the highest grossing basketball film ever? I do own Hoosiers on VHS. I'll watch it someday. 
But Jeff, I interrupted you, Jeff. Oh no, I was just saying what Adam just was. This is the highest grossing basketball film of all time. But I mean, I guess like that that's the final thing I'm just curious about. So for the climax itself, is it going to be decided based on an actual legit basketball game or is there going to be something different this time like cuz you say you want better basketball. I guess the question is the nerd lux having taken over so they are on one team versus Looney Tunes again or like how's the how's that going to work? That's where my idea ran flat because my last sentence says zany game ensues <laughs> and i didn't know how that would work i ran out of steam my and plus i was at the end of the page yeah, i had one piece of paper thing. Yeah. and there was no backside to the paper <laughs> and you're not an english teacher you're a math teacher that's right that's right but yeah so i mean because the staging of that again like you said like in the last film it was michael is training the looney tunes how to be a decent basketball squad but in the end it doesn't matter because he just does what michael jordan does and he scores the game winning point and everything else so literally everything he was building up to didn't matter so in this case is it going to be different because technically they've learned something from the last movie or do we want to switch around where it is like basketball players versus the comedians that are maybe on the side of because i i don't understand where the final conflict of taking down the guy who set up all the betting and rigged everything is other than him actually losing some huge bet through a game and then that's just the end of him well and that could actually be because if the whatever the heck those things are called have taken over <laughs> the fact that we've said it so many times and i still can't remember them tells me how unimportant they were with lebron and Kyrie and those guys taken over by the the nerd some nerd lux, lux. Sure, I'll remember that. So with them taking over, he can conspire with um insane bet. Like everybody bets on this surefire thing that's not going to happen or whatever. Like whatever bet he can make, some prank, some crazy thing that would never actually occur. And he's going to make all this money. But then it ends up they play the actual game on Earth with the real players. But the thing that turns the tide is that the Looney Tunes players actually show up in human world. And then it just shatters everything and they perform the stunt and that's how he loses all his money and i don't know that's just what i thought of so right now. like they're getting the bigger laugh or something because right. yeah that's what i was trying to figure out is like is yeah is it going to be based on the best comedic basketball gag and the looney tunes perform it and then that gives them more life and more people are going to want to watch what they do so basically by the end there has to be a looney tunes basketball league like the lba so that yeah the, the Looney Basketball Association and that takes the place so the NBA can get back to where it needs to be taken seriously and people that want to watch their comedy can go and watch the other league and so it evens out the world again I like it alright so when are we going to make this how do we get 2021. this do you guys have funding because I can start on the script right now I've yes. got time I'm on spring break <laughs> Warner oh, Brothers yeah. might still need a script for theirs, so we will see. You know where to find us. Eric, thank you for uh, coming back around. This is amazing. You did the three-peat. I you did. delivered. I had back-to-back-to-back -back -back championships, just like Michael it's Jordan. True. Does the that mean I have retire from the world of podcasting? Yeah. Indisputably the greatest podcaster in history. <laughs> in the Take history of Sequel Quest, we'll put it that way. But, folks, we are excited that you joined 
joined us, and uh, we are fast approaching our 100th episode. So we certainly have ideas for what we would like that to be, but if you want to make a suggestion, if you want your desired sequel, the dream sequel, prequel, or reboot that you never got to see, why don't you hit us up on social media, give us your ideas, at SQPod on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook. Sadly, I believe as of tomorrow, Google Plus will be no more. So, <laughs> is Google Plus still around? Google has been sending me emails saying, We're sorry to let you know that your Google Plus account, along with all others, will be shut down. Google were Plus will cease to exist. managing that? We were. Adam was. We were hoping to be the only ones and get all the audience, but I uh, didn't save it. All seven of them. And of course, you can always email them to sequelquestpod at gmail.com. But we love the Sequel Quest universe. We love you for listening and giving us a shot. If this is your first episode, go back to the archives. You want sports themes? Eric always joins us. I mean, we had our Mighty Ducks 4 episode, Field of Dreams episode, tangentially related to baseball. Corn Hellscape. Yes, uh, you want to find out what that was all about. <laughs> so we invite you to, to stay involved, and until next time... That's all, folks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 